Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Some things or some people are worth melting for. Even Disney can stumble upon the truth, can't they? Well, thanks for joining us again this week at Christian Chapel. I'm Jeremy. And we're continuing our series, The Story, and we kind of twisted it a little bit last week as the story became the story through the eyes of Frozen. And it really is that some things are worth melting for. Some people are worth melting for. In fact, the gospel would even say that all people are worth melting for in the words of Olaf. I, I like Olaf. I think he's a great character. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. I swear this is the last week that we'll show any more uh, s- snapshots of that. But like we said last week, sometimes culture, uh, culture gets truth pretty mixed up and, and is pretty far from it sometimes. But sometimes they remember it like a foggy dream and they, even Disney can speak the truth. If all truth is God's truth, then it doesn't matter who speaks it. But we can identify it and we can then connect it back to the story of God. And so Frozen is a great connection to the gospel as we see what self-sacrificing, self-giving love is all about. And Olaf is this catalyst for helping others know what love is and show them that they are loved, and then how they can love. And the true love wasn't the the true love's kiss, as we have so often come to see in in some of these stories, but that in the end, it wasn't the true love kiss. You'll have to watch the movie if you weren't here last week to see what it actually was, but it was an act of self-giving, self-sacrificing love. And Olaf knew what love was. Last week, we talked about moving out of fear, which causes us to be frozen, And how do we move out of fear? It's through love. And and the one act of true love is self-giving, sacrificial love. And I want to move from talking about giving to serving. Because I really believe that if we want to become unfrozen in life and in faith, we must discover that true love only comes through sacrificial acts. And one of those acts is, is serving. We are frozen when we don't serve. And in the words of Olaf, an act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. I wish I could do that voice better. I'm sorry. And as we continue in the story, we see that the prophecies of what the Messiah King, who that person would be, what he would look like, Found this morning in Isaiah chapter 53, if you open your Bible roughly to the middle and just a few pages to the right, you'll find the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote some of the most prolific prophecies about what the Messiah would look like. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we see him projecting what the Messiah would look like. And in verse 3 and 4, he says it this way. If you have your Bible, open it up, turn it on. If you have the Version app, you can follow along as well as it be on the screen. Verse 3 of chapter 53 of Isaiah says it this way. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Let's pray this morning, church. Father, this is your word. Help us to receive it and help us to act upon it. Help our minds to understand and our hearts to perceive 
what's of you, that anything that's of me would just simply go in one ear and out the other, but what's truly of you would sink deep into our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. I want to look at verse 4 specifically. Verse 3 is a wonderful text that we'll dive into as we move towards Easter a little bit more because it does speak of the suffering that Jesus went through on his way to the cross, through the the week of passion, we call it. And verse 4, I think, gives us a good thought about the character of this coming king, that it was going to be different than what people thought the coming king, the coming Messiah would look like. Verse 4 says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The, The same word is actually used there, took up and to bear. It really is this word of taking upon oneself a carrying of a burden. This really is an image of a servant. For the Messiah to come was not going to carry things of his own accord. He was going to uh, obey his Father's will and carry the burden for a people who could not carry it themselves. He would bear for us the suffering and pain we could not bear or or carry ourselves. And this is the image of a servant, of one who would come and do for us what we could not or would not do for ourselves. You know, the Bible tells us a different story than what our culture often tells us. Oftentimes we hear a message of consumerism and consumption, and the focus is on self. But when you examine the story of Scripture, it tells us a different story about a God, as we talked about last week, who is a giver, not a taker. About a Savior who serves, about a king who through his kindness and mercy redeems for God a people that would be his very own. Jesus becomes, as we will discover in the next couple weeks, the ultimate story crasher. See, the people of Israel, all these years, even through the prophecies, have this idea of what their king Messiah would look like. He would come as a conquering king. He would vanquish their enemies, destroy the Roman oppression. But Jesus would flip the script. He would crash the story of all who thought he had come to be the conquering king. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, second gospel. So it's kind of off-center in your Bible if you flip it open. Or turn it on, just hit Mark, there you go. I like that you can turn the Bible on. because you, you should know the books of the Bible in order. But have you found yourself, those who use digital Bibles, you are forgetting the order of the Bible? You need to relearn that song. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's move on. Later, I can teach you that. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. The disciples and Jesus have been traveling. And here Mark picks up the story and he says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and a servant to all. (laughs) So get this picture. They're traveling on their way to Capernaum, and as they're traveling, walking, the disciples, I, I imagine, are behind Jesus as he's leading the way. 
And they're in the back, and in my mind, they're in the back seat of a station wagon, because that's what it was like when I was a kid, right? How many of you remember station wagons, right? You remember the ones that had the back facing, the rear facing row, remember that? Well, we didn't live in such luxury. We did not have that. So for six people, we just had the two seats, right? And so having a family of six, it meant two people always got stuck with the hump, right? You know what I'm talking about, that uncomfortable space in the middle, right? And having an older brother and an older sister, usually they would make sure that they got uh, the two seats without the hump. And then, of course, mom and dad. And I just learned it was better to throw people off by when they would run to the car saying, I got a no hump seat. I got a no hump seat. I would say, I got the hump. And it would just throw, what? You claiming the hump? Yeah, why not? Why not? But I remember arguing in the back seat with my brother and sisters, oftentimes getting into little scuffles in the back seat. And my dad, like a ninja he is, his arm would somehow slowly, and I I didn't even see it move. He was very Matrix-like. He would reach back and just grab. You know that spot on your knee? You know the spot I'm talking about. Parents, you learn where that is on your kids. He would grab that. And you would just know, and he would say, that's enough. And you would just like, okay, totally, that's enough. All right, I get it. I kind of have this picture of Jesus and his disciples. He's hearing them arguing on on the journey, on the walk. And he doesn't really confront it until they get there. And then, then he calls them to account. He sets them up. Like we discovered last week, Jesus is very good at doing. He says, hey, what were you arguing about on the road? Uh... arguing? Were we arguing? You know, you can see the disciples, it says they were quiet because they knew what they were arguing about was ridiculous. And so they just kind of clam up. We were about sandals. You know, Simon Peter got this new pair of kicks and we, you know, arguing about which one were better. They were arguing about who would be the greatest. They still had it in their mind that the kingdom that Jesus had, had been speaking about was merely a physical kingdom, that he had come as this conquering king. And truly one day he will be, but the kingdom he was talking about was the kingdom of the heart. It was a spiritual kingdom that he had brought to earth. They hadn't quite grasped that yet. And they were arguing about who would be the greatest next to King Jesus. And it says sitting down. I imagine it goes more like this. Sit down. You know, very fatherly like, I hear what you're arguing about, now sit down. I'm about to share the truth with you. And he simply lays it out for them. If you want to be first, you must be the very last. And if you want to lead, you've got to be the servant of all. Jesus flips the script. He crashes their story. He says, even in their culture, as much as it is like this in our culture, If you want to be first, you better fight for it. Push down everybody you can. If you want to get to the top, you're going to have to step on people. You're going to have to do things that you normally wouldn't do. You know the culture that we live in is very much like the day and age that Jesus was speaking to his disciples about. Human nature is still human nature. The life and teaching of Jesus shows us how we can become unfrozen. And he starts it by saying, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be unfrozen, you got to serve. And the great thing that I learned from Scripture is first that we have an example. That Jesus wasn't just giving lip service, that he himself set the example of servanthood. Look at John chapter 13. 
If you were in Mark, just flip a couple books over, you'll find the book of John, chapter 13, starting in verse 2. It says this, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Basically, he's saying Jesus had confidence. Knowing that he was about to be betrayed and go to his death, Jesus knew that he had all the power that God had in him. It's important to know that as they're talking about this, this is taking place basically at the Last Supper. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Go ahead and skip to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. It's interesting to note that John replaces the story of the Last Supper, the the communion, the Eucharist, the Passover, with this story. Jesus is giving his disciples another illustrated sermon, much like communion would be. He's giving them this illustrated sermon by his own actions. He would serve them. You've probably heard, if you've been in church at any length of time in your life, you've probably heard sermons on the washing of feet and the act of servitude. It it is a great story. To understand what that meant in that culture is pretty significant. That the dusty roads of Palestine would dirty up your feet and a, and a, a host, a, a good host, would offer a basin of water for you to wash your own feet to be clean for dinner. But here's the thing. Even a Hebrew slave in this culture could not be required to wash someone else's feet. That's how low it was considered. That wasn't even required of Hebrew slaves. And here Jesus humbles himself, stripping off his outer garment, wrapping a towel around his waist, and getting down on the floor to wash the feet of his disciples. It's said that the greatest act of love a disciple could show his master, his rabbi, was to wash his master rabbi's feet. And Jesus flips the script. He says, I know what you've seen. And I know what you've heard in your culture, but he says, this is how it is in the kingdom. If you want to lead, you serve. You want to be first, you become last. And he flips the script on them, and he sets for them this example. Truly, it points to what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. When he says this to the people of Philippi, Verse 3 of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Find something worth melting for. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as that of Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that he could use to his own advantage but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something, as some translations say, that in their translations, something he could grasp or something he could hold on to. If he was going to serve the will of his Father, he could not grasp on to being uh, the divine power. And he let that go to become human. And though Jesus being in very nature God, he was also totally God and totally human. He didn't use the power of God within him for his own advantage. Rather, he used it to serve. And this is the sign of exceptional love that he would wash the feet of his disciples' feet. Let me ask you today, what does washing feet look like for you and me? In your marriage, in your home, for your children, your coworkers, the relationships that you have. How are you humbling yourself and serving those around you? Because I'll tell you the second truth I've come to understand is that each one of us have a unique shape, a way that we can serve. Shape, if you've ever heard this acronym before, stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experience. There are spiritual gifts that God has given you. When you become a believer, he gives you, not of your own power, but these are things that are not natural to you. And Scripture We'll take some time later to, dis- to help you understand what those are, but Scripture is very clear that you have a shape. You have certain spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its very various forms. Paul here is saying everyone should serve. Find your Find your shape. God has given you a shape. What's your spiritual gifts? What's your heart? Meaning, what is, what is your, your passion? And I want to contrast that with uh, what we in the church sometimes call a burden. You see, uh, you see the homeless, and you have a burden. You, you say, you know, someone should really do something about that. I, a passion is when you see something like that, you immediately move to try to relieve that need or meet that need. So having a heart means you go beyond just having a burden, but you have a passion to meet or relieve that need. Abilities. What are the natural abilities that God has given you? What are the things that over the course of your life you've shown some aptitude for? What are things that people have complimented you about? Things that you just do naturally well. What abilities do you have? That speaks of your shape. What what about your personality? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? That helps you to figure out how how am I made? Where am I to fit? What are your experiences? I really believe that God does not waste any of our experiences, any of our pain, but that truly your story, interwoven into God's story, becomes even a greater story. That those things in your past that you see as your misery truly become your ministry. Those things that were your tragedy become your purpose. What about what wisdom do you have? What skills have you developed? This all speaks of the shape that God has uniquely made you in. And it also speaks to the third thing, your place. Everyone has a place to serve. A place that God wants to use your ministry. Yes, you have a ministry. Oh, but I'm not a pastor. (laughs) I know. But that's why you're unique. Your shape is different than my shape. God has called me to preach and to be a pastor. What has he called you to do? 
Romans 12 says it this way, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I'm sensing a theme here. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. I like, I like the analogy Paul gives us that the church, the local church, is considered a body of Christ. And then all of the churches worldwide also form a large body of Christ. But we, the local church, he, he compares us to a body. And he says that each one of us has a place unique to us, unique to you. That some function as a thumb and some as an ear. And though they are radically different and their purposes are different, they fit together to function as one body. And both the thumb and the ear are needed. And this is what he's saying. You have a place. You have a unique function in your shape, but you have a place in this local body. Everyone has a place. I remember growing up, I can remember the the people that were influential in my life, youth pastors and children's pastors, children's volunteers who I can remember their faces and the the things that they taught me over the years in the the Sunday schools and the, the kids' ministries that I attended. But I can remember one man, when my dad was pastoring in California, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was, he kind of, in my mind, was Father Time. He was an old man with a white beard, and I just thought he was timeless, ageless. And when I say that, I, I mean he was really old. And I remember every Sunday, his place, his ministry to kids, though he, he didn't have the energy and, and, and what needed to be in in the actual kids area every sunday he had a pack of gum and when i say a pack of gum i mean one of them big ones you know i'm talking about like the 40 piecers you guys remember those he always had one of those and anybody who came to him and asked for a piece of gum would get a piece of gum so all the kids knew the gum guy right and i learned from this man generosity he would give to all who would ask. If that's not a picture of Christ to a kid, I don't know what is. That was his place. That was his ministry. <laughs> and I remember being devious and deceptive as I was. I am no longer. I would sometimes be wearing a coat and I would take it off and I would go back to him thinking, he's so old, he can't see and he won't recognize me and I've changed my appearance. He won't know it's me. And I would go and I would ask for another piece of gum and he would give it to me. I thought I had totally outsmarted him. Now I realize he was totally on to me. Yet he never called me out, not once. But he freely gave to me. He demonstrated grace. That was his place. That was his shape. And I'll always remember that. What about you? What's your place? Everyone has a place. You know, we've, we've talked in the last year about being a church that's courageous. We do, we do things that we feel like God is calling us to that, that require a level of courage. We're a, a church that serves each one of us and all of us together. 
We're a church of generations that the old man with a gum serves a place and a purpose as well as the people who are back in the children's area or in the youth ministry or in any of the areas of ministry within the church. We're a church that prays and works. We're a church that raises up leaders. And I I want our culture to define leadership a little bit differently. In in our student ministry when I was a youth pastor, we, we would tell students they were leaders when they began to serve. That, that even the lowest volunteer who's picking up garbage, that was the beginning of leadership. Isn't that what Jesus taught? If you want to lead, serve all, pick up garbage. We figured that's a good place to start. And so when we refer to our volunteers as leaders, doesn't the word leadership sometimes scare you? And when a pastor stands up and says, hey, we want people to lead in our church, you think responsibility, stress, I'm going to have to do all the work. You begin to, there's negative connotations sometimes to leadership. But to me, our volunteers who receive the offering each morning, they're leading the way. They're serving. The people who did the check-in for our kids' ministry are leading the way. And organizing the oldies but goodies hymn sing, you're leading the way for all generations. Isn't it great that last week we celebrated with kids, with, with our, our members of our church that are under four feet, Right? And we had a great time with our kids last week in service, and this week we're celebrating the generations, the legacy generations, that appreciate the timeless songs of the hymns, and we'll be, at, be doing that tonight at 3 o'clock. That's the kind of church we want to be, where, where leadership isn't just a title or a position, where, where someone who is paid to do that, but truly we step into what the gospel says about leadership, that Pastors and teachers were given to the church to equip them, to build them up so that you, that they, the body of Christ, might do the ministry, not just the guy on the stage. There's no sidelines here. I don't know if you know that, but there's no sidelines in here. You know what I'm talking about? No more sitting and just occupying. You're an owner. Rick talked about that this morning, being an owner, that you just don't show up on a Sunday morning, that you own it through giving and through serving. Fourth thing, you have a story. We sang it this morning. You have a story. This is my story. This is my song. So what is your story? If you have anything, you have a story. If you have nothing, you have a story. And what is that story? I've heard it said this way. Your life is the only Bible some people will read. Or put another way, the only Jesus they'll ever see. And your story, when you connect it to their story, gives you an opportunity to connect their story to God's story. And God's story in you. You know the greatest word you can ever give somebody else is the work that God has done in you and through you? That's the greatest word that somebody needs, is what has God done in your life? Acts 1.8 says it this way. Jesus is about to leave and he says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as Pentecostals, we love that word power. We love it. We, we want to talk all about the power. But let me remind you that the day of Pentecost, there was a purpose. And the greatest purpose that the day of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit was to serve was the boldness to preach the gospel so that lives might be changed. That is the bar. That is the standard for Pentecost, is transformed lives. 
And listen to what he says next after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. That word witnesses in the Greek is martyres. What word does that remind you of? Martyr. It's the same word. It's where we get the word martyr. Is the word witness. One who testifies of something they've experienced. That's what a witness is. That's what the word martyrs means. One who testifies of a fact or event or has personal knowledge of something. Do you have personal knowledge of what Jesus has done in your life? I'm telling you the best sign of the Holy Spirit living in you is what God has done in your life. Peter and John, just two chapters later, are walking to the temple gate to go to prayer. They're going to church. And there is a beggar that has been begging there for years. He's brought there. And as they walk in through the gate, the beggar says, give me silver or gold. And they simply look at him and they say, we don't have anything. We don't have silver or gold. We don't even have lint in our pockets. That was funny. But Peter says, what I do have, I will give you. I have a story. I have encountered the power of the living God through Jesus Christ. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom I have walked with, who I've seen raised from the dead, who I've seen do miracles, in that name, rise up and walk. That is the power of your story. How have you experienced the work of Christ in your old life? And I love the fact that Peter and John were not even in the church. They were outside the temple. Last thing, you have the opportunity. The question really is, how will you outlive your life? What legacy will you live and leave behind? How will you outlive your life? How will you outlive your life? You see, serving is as much about my heart as it is my talents. Serving is as much about me as it is about them. And serving really is the only action that leaves a legacy. I've heard it said that people will remember you for what you've given, not what you got. And serving in God's kingdom isn't always about ability, it's about availability. Your little, with God's everything, amounts to much. We saw that with the BGMC offering last week. I want to close by revisiting Mark chapter 9. After Jesus gets done telling them that if they want to be first, they have to be last. If they want to lead, they have to be a servant of all. And then he says this. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So many great theological thoughts in that paragraph but the simple of uh, simple of these thoughts is that children are the future they're the church now but they are the future and that we're only one generation from the extinction of christianity and so we must be a church who raises up the next generation I think even in Jesus' day, he understood that if you don't reach children, it gets harder and harder and harder. And he understood if you could reach the children, you can reach the world. That's why I love working with King's Castle 
the ministry in El Salvador that we've had the privilege of serving each summer, and we're going back this year. On the side of all their buses, it simply says, because children need to know Jesus. And that's their whole purpose, is to reach the children of El Salvador. And reaching the world starts with reaching our own kids. Father, thank you for your people that you have called by name, first to yourself, and then to the work of your kingdom. Would you reveal to our hearts and minds what it is as individuals you're calling us to do, where we can step in to your place for us, that it truly is our ministry, not just the ministry or the ministry of a pastor, but the ministry that you have trusted entrusted to us. Now, would you bless your people as we go from this place, as we make a difference in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our community. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, church. We look forward to seeing you back next week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in today. If you made a decision to follow Christ or would like more information about a deeper relationship, please contact us at nextsteps at c2church.com. Thank you.